Thanks so much for being here today. Appreciate you guests being here and some, uh, some of my uh, former students from Northview here as well and Christy Cap's parents as well. Appreciate you guys being here. Well, if you don't mind, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And as you turn to Luke chapter 2, I'll just kind of do a quick review. Uh, we have been looking at uh, the messenger and the Messiah and the combination of them that had to take place. We were told from the Old Testament in multiple places, lastly in the book of Malachi, that the Savior would come, the Messiah would come, but He wouldn't just come out of nowhere, but before He came, there would be the messenger. So the messenger had to come first, and then the Messiah. Then there, after Malachi, there's around 400 years of silence. We hear nothing from God. There's not an angelic visit. There are no prophets. Then all of a sudden, Gabriel appears, right? He appears before Zechariah, who is a priest. He's putting the incense on the altar. The smoke goes up, and all of a sudden, Gabriel appears next to him and says, You... You are going to have the messenger. It is you and Elizabeth. And it's a supernatural birth, not a virgin birth like Jesus, but his wife is too old to have children, but she is able to. And we've looked at the birth of John the Baptist. We also looked at Gabriel visiting Mary and Joseph as well, that she would have the Savior, that she was going to have the Messiah. And we also looked at when they entered the same room even, as Mary went to Elizabeth's house, that even the baby within her womb, Elizabeth's womb, jumped and, and with excitement that the, the Messiah was in the presence of the messenger in the womb of Mary. Just amazing all that is going on here. And all the supernatural signs. There are more miracles that begin to take place from where we've just started reading here. This episode of just, just a number of years with Jesus' birth and then his ministry begins and the disciples. More miracles, which is just a sign from God, than the whole Bible combined is right there packed into these few years. Because all signs are right now. They're pointing to the messenger is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Savior of the world is here. All signs pointing there. We looked last week at uh, how the baby was born in Bethlehem. We looked at the fact that uh, Bethlehem simply means the house of bread or city of bread. We also looked at how Jesus later on uh, said of himself, I am the bread of life. Those who eat on me will inherit eternal life. So we see the bread of life that has come down from heaven is born in the city of bread. We also looked at the fact that Bethlehem is known as the city of David, the very one that the Messiah had to be connected to. Uh, the lineage of David is actually born in the same city that David was born in as well. And even, even with Mary and Joseph traveling 90 miles uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, she is about to give birth any moment, but she doesn't, of course, because God is in control. And it is not until Bethlehem that she gives birth to the Savior. We also looked at the fact that the shepherds were in the field. And uh, one angel appeared, right, and announced that this is great news uh, unto you. A Savior has been born. Wonderful news. No news greater than this. A news of great joy. And even how the fact that, that we, uh, we often look for joy in the wrong places. This world looks for joy and everywhere it should not look for joy. And they never find joy. Only a believer, only those who have faith in Christ, in this Messiah, can truly experience joy in this life. But even we as Christians are often tempted as we look around at the world to pursue joy in all the wrong areas. But this is the message and the only message that can bring true joy. And that our joy as a Christian has to be rooted right here in the message that we are studying right here at the beginning of the Gospels. Christ, the Messiah, the one that would make peace, the one that would save our souls has arrived. 
and his name is Jesus. Outside of that, there is no joy to be found truly in this life. Temporary happiness, yes, but no deep-rooted joy. So the shepherds saw the angel, then a multitude, magnitude, innumerable amount of angels show up and they begin to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Beautiful here how God gets all the glory for salvation. It is heaven downward. What are we supposed to do? Oh, we're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to praise God. And it is, it is with those on earth that he is pleased who receive peace. It's all involving this one Messiah, the Christ. You want peace with God? It's found in the one in a manger. Outside of that, there is no peace with God. This is God's Savior that he has provided. If you want peace with God, you have to go through the Savior. Only one mediator between men and God, the Bible says. So we look at that, just beautiful. All this is taking place. Uh, they were, shepherds were to go. The, the sign they were supposed to look for is that the baby would be born in the manger. Why is that a sign? Well, if you, if you were expecting the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, God in the flesh, right, to be born on earth, and the angel just said, go find the Messiah, where would the shepherds look? Maybe a big house, maybe a ranch, man, mansion, you know, a huge castle or something. But the last place they would go look is in the stable where the cows, where the, where the sheep were, right? But this is the humble beginning of the Messiah. And he's surrounded in humility here. He's born to Mary and Joseph, who are but young teenagers, it appears. Uh, seemingly very poor from all the clues we pick up on here. Uh, and, and the announcement comes not to the wealthiest in all of Jerusalem, but the angels announce it to the shepherds, the lowest on the socioeconomic scale to go see the Messiah. And so this is where we pick up today that... He is now named Jesus here at the chapter 2, uh, verse 21. The shepherds returned. They glorified God. They praised God. And they told others. And again, this is what we are to do with this message. What do we do when we hear of the Messiah, the Christ, this time of year? We should rejoice. We should praise God. We should be thankful. And we should tell others. Now, let's continue on here. I'm going to read a section here starting at verse 22. And uh, I'll read for a ways through. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we have your word, that we can study, that we can learn, that we can nourish our souls on. This is what we rely on as a Christian for our strength. This is the source of our joy. This is the source of our salvation. Open our hearts, open our minds as we study uh, and we look and as we learn uh, more and more about your Savior, the Messiah, that you sent for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we, we open this passage up here back at verse 22, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, in case you, uh, you didn't catch that. We are in Luke. And, and we see what is going on here, that this, this kind of odd scene that we don't really quite understand it unless we know a little bit more about the Old Testament. But look back at verse 22 and go through 24. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What is going on here? Well, we have Mary and Joseph who are true Israelites. And we find out earlier there in chapter 1 that they are considered righteous people. They have been declared righteous by God, by faith in God. They are declared righteous by Him. But they're also living in a righteous way as well. We as believers, we as Christians, uh, receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. It is the only way anyone gets into heaven is if we get his perfect record. We never have a perfect record in and of ourselves, right? But they are righteous declared by God, but also they are practically righteous as far as they are doing what they can to live in obedience to God's word. Not that they don't mess up and sin, not at all. Mary had sin, Joseph had sin. Every human is born sinful, but they're living according to the law as best they can. And we see here at the beginning in verse 22 through 24 that they're doing exactly what the law has prescribed. Now, this is going way back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but at, at firstborn baby boy, uh, the parents were commanded on the 40th day to offer a lamb and two pigeons or two turtle doves. Now, Leviticus 12, 8, though, we catch a clue here about Mary and Joseph. It says this, after prescribing that every uh, couple who has a male, firstborn male, that 40th day, they have to give a lamb and give two turtle doves at the temple. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 8, Leviticus says, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. It is not that big of a deal, but it is interesting to note once again that the Messiah is born to people who are not the richest, the, the fanciest, all right? These are not the ones that everyone goes, oh, yeah, of course, that's the one, the most prominent people in our area at the time, the most well-off. But even at this, they have the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, and the couple that has him, Mary and Joseph, his stepfather, you might say, come with nothing but 
a couple of doves, a couple of pigeons. They don't even came and afford the lamb. And, but this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. God, of course, does not look on the outside as we do to determine who is the most important. If we had a poll right now of who is the most important people in the world, odds are some of us would come up with the same types of names. We would think of those in technology or those who are involved in making computers, making phones. A few billionaires might come to mind. These are, are very important in our world. But does God look at that and say that, yes, those are the most important ones, right? Uh, no, he looks totally different. Even when he chose David back in the Old Testament, uh, Samuel lines up all the brothers. And who does he pick? Not the biggest, not the oldest, not the toughest, not the strongest, but, but the shortest guy there. Little David is picked to be the king of Israel. So we see the same type of thing playing out here, that God chooses the humble. God knows the heart. He's not looking at the fancy outsides like we do. He's seeing their heart here. So they bring the do- turtle doves and, and we get this clue that they are not well off financially. Let's carry on. Look at uh, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is it's an interesting uh, person, a character here that's introduced to us, because we know nothing about Simeon at all except these next few statements here. We don't know anything about him at all. We catch only our clues and only the the information is caught right here in what is going on. Uh, This passage says, in Jerusalem, where the temple was, there is a man named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. This is said of very few people at this time. And Israel, Jerusalem, the nation itself of Israel, is, is described as a very dark place right now. There has been silence from God. Um, this, this Pharise- the Pharisee system, the Pharisaical system has grown up and they put rules and rules and rules and rules in front of the people. And it's more of a self-righteousness now instead of depending on God's righteousness and depending on Him for grace. But people begin to try to earn their salvation, right? And so the, those who truly are looking for the Messiah who are looking to God and God alone for salvation and not relying on themselves, the number is minuscule. It's extremely small. Even in these opening chapters, we only see a very few people that are truly serving God. Those that are declared righteous are Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, Joseph and Mary, and here, Simeon. Uh, but the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is being brought to the temple to do according to the law what they're supposed to do with him. And... All of a sudden, this man appears out of nowhere. Uh, just a random stranger, from, war, uh, from all we can tell. Shows up. He is righteous. He is devout. So in other words, he, he has been declared righteous by God. He's a true believer. Uh, but also, he is devout. In other words, he is following God's commands. And this is what we are exhorted to do as well. It is not enough just to say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, Jesus is my Savior. And then go live like the devil, right? Yes, you, you are supposed to be saved, of course. We depend fully in Christ and his righteousness for our salvation. But then we are to pursue God, pursue obedience, and put the sin away. And that's what we find described in this man. He is righteous and he is devout. He is an active pursuer, follower of God. Now, all of a sudden, here in verse 26, uh, we catch a little bit more information about him. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came 
in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So here this man is, completely out of the blue. Apparently no one knows him, really, or, or Mary and Joseph don't know who he is. They, they don't, and you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. They have, they have been given tidbits of information about the Messiah, and they know the prophecies. They've had what the shepherds have shared with them. Uh, and there's, they're, they're gathering information. This information is beginning to snowball. They don't know from right when Jesus is born, they don't know everything about him and what he is going to do in his life. The information slowly begins to grow. They know a lot. They know he is the Messiah. But how this plays out and the details of it, they don't know exactly. But here we get, see again God speaking through a man, prophesying to them. And they're given more information about who this, who this is, who Jesus is, truly is, and what he's going to accomplish here. But, but look at this. We have this man who has received word from God that he will not die until he sees the Christ, back in verse 26. Now, Christ, as we know, is just another word for Messiah. And Messiah, it is Messiah in Hebrew. It is Christ is what we refer to it in Greek. And uh, so we have here Christ. He is the Messiah. God would send one Messiah, one Christ. This man was told that he would actually see that Messiah before he died. One of the men I was uh, reading about uh, was teaching on this passage. And he said, imagine that, knowing that you would not die until you saw the Messiah. It's like, you know, your wife tells you to stop eating a dozen donuts every morning. And you'd be like... It's okay. I won't die until I see the Messiah. You know, nothing's going to stop me. I mean, you're basically invincible. You're like a superhero of sorts because you, until you see this Messiah. But it was an interesting point he brought up, and I couldn't help but share that with you. But anyway, uh, so, so we have this man who is not going to die until he actually sees the Messiah. Mary and Joseph walk in. Jesus is presented at the temple. Notice we hear nothing about the priest. We hear nothing about those in charge. Again, this is a very dark era. And, and those that are even working in the system, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle system itself, seems to have really pulled away from God. Even as Jesus matures, even as he's an adult, he clears the temple two different times violently. He clears them out of there because they're all doing evil. They're doing wrong. So they go to present Jesus at the temple. It is not the priest. It is not the high priest that comes and grabs the baby and says, Behold, this is the Messiah, right? What do the high priests do? They do the opposite of that. They do the opposite. They try to kill the Messiah. And it is the high priests who end up killing Jesus. But here we see just a layperson, just a man. Uh, this is the only, only time we hear about him who, who picks the baby up and says, My eyes have seen your salvation. He is ready to die now. He is apparently an older man. He's lived as much as he wants to live. He has seen the Messiah, and he is fully prepared to die now. Uh, one of my, the guys I like to study, his name is Matthew Henry. He's long gone now, but he writes this. He says, how poor does this world look to one that has Christ literally in his arms and salvation in his view? See here how comfortable is the death of a good man. He departs in peace with God peace with his own conscience, and peace with death, those that have welcomed Christ may also welcome death. 
Wow, think on that in a moment. He sees Christ. He sees the salvation. He's at total peace with God. Once again, the, the beginning of Luke, the beginning of the Gospels, we see that peace is only found. We see it a lot of times at Christmas in big, bold print in different places. Why is that? Why do people say the word or see it on print so much at Christmas? Because it's all around the Christ. If there is no Christ, there is no true peace with God. But those who have the Christ, those who see him for their salvation, they have peace. And he can live and he can depart in peace because he has a Savior. Look at look what he says here, though, this verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. Of all the priests that are running around and doing their thing, of the hundreds, they, they say perhaps thousands of people, they're hustling and bustling in and out and around this big temple that is there. Uh, no one sees the Savior. No one sees the Messiah. No one sees that this is God incarnate in the flesh, the very one who made them. They're doing their own thing. All they see is a baby. But who does Simeon see? He sees that this is the Messiah. The very one that is in his arms is the eternal son of God who will bring salvation. Uh, I have a question. What do you see when you think of Jesus? Uh, Do you see him as a baby or do you see him as the source of your salvation? Everyone saw the baby that day. But is that enough? Is it enough just to acknowledge that there is a baby? Uh, That's not enough, right? Even today, we have baby Jesus and manger scenes and artwork all around. If you received our mailer or you see one that's back there, you see that we have a a scene of the the birth of Christ and we see him in a manger. But it's not enough just to acknowledge that there is a person who, and there is a man named Jesus who was born as a baby. Uh, Atheists can believe that. In fact, most historical atheists who truly study history will at least acknowledge that A man was truly named Jesus who was truly born in Bethlehem. It is impossible to deny those facts. It is very historical. We see the evidence of it. But is that enough? No, that's not enough. It's not enough to to just say that, yes, a human named Jesus has been born. Simeon sees the Savior. Do you see him as a baby or do you see him as a source of your salvation? Oftentimes, the manger scenes, as beautiful as they are, and, and the more you know of God's Word, the more they instill your imagination and you think about, about the Word of God and all the, the story. But for many people, the Christian story seems to be too condensed to that point, And they don't think of everything else that plays out. Oftentimes, think of, yes, a manger scene is great, but maybe they should put a cross right next to it. So we kind of get the whole scene, right? We get more of the story. We have the, yes, Jesus was born, but he didn't stay a baby forever. He grew up. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He performed signs, miracles, and wonders to prove who he was. He died on the cross. He took the sins of all those who believe in him, paid the price, rose from the dead, and ascended back into heaven. It's the whole story of who Jesus is that saves. And Simeon sees him as the Savior. Uh, let's see. Uh, Verse 31, let's skip on down there. Uh, That you have prepared, and this is again, Simeon still speaking. I'm going to read all that together, actually. Verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 31. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
Now, this, is, again, is more information that is being revealed from God to them about the Messiah. If you go back and look at the other revelations we have from God about who the Messiah is going to be, how he's introduced to Mary and Joseph, uh, so far it seems like he, it is very Israel-centered. And it is it's the Messiah that many of them were expecting. Uh, the Messiah that even the disciples were still trying to get later on is an earthly Messiah right now for us, for this geographical area, for those who are genetically uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel, true Israel. And we see that something else is revealed here. Look back at that passage. This is quite significant because this is odds are you and me. Uh, it is for the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the Savior, and for glory to your people Israel. Now, this is, is of course, going the glory for Israel. If we look way back at the Old Testament, I'll try to summarize this kind of briefly, but the promises of God were given to Abraham that it was through his seed that salvation would come and people would be blessed from, from all over. But we have Abraham who gives birth to, to Isaac, and then we have Isaac who gives birth to Esau and Jacob, and then Jacob, remember, wrestles with the angel of the Lord and, and is given a new name. He's given that, that name of Israel. And he has 12 sons then. And so these promises of God are given to Israel, Abraham, uh, Jacob, Isaac. Uh, the Savior would come through one of his sons, Judah. And so it continues on. So, yes, Israel is receiving the glory for this. And they're giving that glory back to God. But it is in fulfillment of all these prophecies that have come through Israel. The prophets have come through Israel. The, the, the uh, law was given through Israel. The, the Ten Commandments right, were given to Israel. The tabernacle was given to Israel. So this is all pointing to the Messiah. So this is the culmination of all that Israel was about. But it's not just for them. This is to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, in that day, and everyone was either, if you look at God's word, was either uh, of Israel. They were Jewish, of one of those tribes of Israel. Or they were what? They were Gentiles or Greeks is what they would be called. And that's it. So the world was divided up, as we see here, either you're Israel part of Israel, part of the Abraham's genealogy, or you are of Gentile or Greek origin, which means non-Israel. But now we have a light even to those who are not genetically of Israel. So this is a big bit of information that begins to play out through Jesus' life and after his death and ascension as well. But look at uh, John 12, verse 44 through 45. I have it on the screen for you today. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And again, this, we see Jesus teaching and preaching not just to Israel, but is this whoever is uh, whosoever. It is not just the 12 tribes of Israel he is reaching, but his ministry is becoming for whoever. He is a light to the Gentiles as well. Galatians three twenty six through 29, Paul labors this point that it doesn't matter your gene genealogy, your genetics, but if you're a child of God, you have to come spiritually. And look, I'll read this to you. Verse 26 in Galatians says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. He's speaking to Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, no matter what your nationality, through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And Paul is laboring this point throughout Galatians. And you're a child of God if you are believed and received the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That salvation can only come through Him. So it doesn't matter if you can trace your genealogy, which was common at that time, all the way back to one of those 12 tribes of Jacob, of Israel. He says that doesn't matter. What matters is that you are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So we are one family. It doesn't matter where your genealogies go to. It doesn't matter what continent they go back to. But we are one in Christ. Um, I, I keep thinking of this just a few months ago. My mom and our daughter was, was teaching in a, a little class in Arkansas, my home church where I grew up. And, and they had a little class of, I believe, fifth and sixth grade girls in there that they were teaching and they were teaching on this same thing and it keeps coming to my mind but uh, their skin tone was different okay so they're teaching on this and one of the girls just just speaks out loud says she is not my sister look at her look at me we are not the same all right and she didn't mean it to be mad or mean in any way but she was looking on the outside and she was bringing it to my mom's attention that obviously you know, they don't look the same. Obviously, they're not true genetic sisters. And uh, but this is going way beyond that genealogy. Everyone wants to go back to Ancestry.com and spend money on doing that. That's fine. That's fun. I wish I had time to do it myself. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Right. What does matter? You better be in the family of God. It doesn't matter if you came from Scotland. It doesn't matter if you came from Ethiopia. What matters is you're going to heaven. You better be in the kingdom of God. So we have one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what we begin to see here. That Jesus comes, yes, it's the glory of Israel, but he's the light to Gentiles. He is the light to the rest of the world as well. Verse 33, let's continue on. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So this man, random man, who is righteous and devout, we hear from Luke, picks the baby up, announces him as such. That this is the Messiah. He is going to be a light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. And he gives him back to them. And then uh, it, 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 Mary and Joseph are left marveling. I love this word. As you, you, look at, you look at other words that are similar to it and using some um, translations. It's like dumbstruck. Uh, flabbergasted, uh, awestruck. It's just just this mind blown. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. They just bring him in. They don't really know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, this man grabs him and announces all this, prophesies from God to them. Uh, I have in my notes here as I was studying this, when is the last time you marveled about the Christ? Think about that for a moment. Sometimes this message becomes mundane, and it should not, meaning it doesn't, doesn't rouse us it doesn't make us get excited any longer because we've heard it how many christmases have you gone through how many times have you seen a manger scene how many times have you heard messiah christ jesus right and sometimes in our mind is ah, da, 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 da. We, we know the story we know how it goes no this should make us marvel we should be awestruck at this the very god who spoke and created everything we sinned against we deserve his wrath but yet he gives us the Savior? 
we should be awestruck every time we look at this. We should sit back and marvel and go, why? Why? I, we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We've sinned against God. We deserve His wrath. But yet He sends the Savior, God in the flesh, God the Son, to be born of a virgin, to be born in a manger, to put on flesh, to suffer and die for my sins. This is the message that should make us marvel as well. Let's carry on. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Wow. As I told you, they're gaining information about this baby that has been born. And so far, everything's been extremely positive. Everything has been great, fantastic. You know, glory of Israel, light of, to the Gentiles, the shepherds hear the, the message, you know, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, the news of great joy. It's just good, 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 great, 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 awesome, awesome, awesome. But then look at this. All of a sudden, there's a little bit of darkness here that kind of comes on the scene. They don't know the whole story yet, but they are definitely warned. Verse, verse 34 and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Is all of Israel going to rejoice that the Messiah is here? The Messiah has come? Absolutely not. In fact, the vast, vast, vast majority of Israel does not rejoice that the Messiah has come. In fact, most of them want to end up what? Killing him, right? So they do, this is going to be very interesting. They're, they're kind of expecting the Messiah is here. Uh, this is who we've all been praying for, expecting to come. This is what the whole, what we call the Old Testament is built on. The Messiah has come. Surely all of Israel will rejoice and then celebrate, but it's not going to be the case. He will be appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He will be, there will be people who are opposed to him. There is no neutrality with Jesus. You must pick a side. He is either your Savior or He is not. To not choose is to choose. So God has sent the Savior. And in those who see, those who believe, those who receive, as Simeon does, are saved by Him. But others see, and, and the darkness that is in them don't want to have anything to do with the light. And they are in total opposition to him, complete opposition to him. So there is a division uh, that takes place here within Israel. We see this, that, that some of them, some of them want to love him. Some of them want to worship him. Peter, when Peter is asked, uh, uh, who do you say that I am? What does he say? He says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Whoosh. Huge, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But what do the Pharisees say? They see Jesus casting out demons. And the Pharisees say, look at that. You are Satan casting out demons. They see the polar opposite. So there is this vast divide. There is this division. There are those who are saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then you have the Pharisees who are calling him all kinds of names. They're saying he is Satan himself. So he will be a sign of division. Many will rise. Many will rise and be saved by him, but many indeed will fall. You cannot be neutral with him. Look at this, Matthew 10. I have this on the screen for you as well today. Verse 32 it says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, this is Jesus speaking. 
I will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. Whatever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And here and elsewhere we see that Jesus is the gatekeeper. Jesus is the final judge. So not only is he the source of division in the nation of Israel, but he is the ultimate source of division as well. He is the final judge over all mankind. Matthew 12, verse 30 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So what we see here is, is God has sent the Messiah, and he has sent the Savior. This is God. He has sent the one and only. Jesus has made it clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is either receive the Savior or by not receiving the Savior, you have rejected him. You've rejected salvation. You've rejected the blessings of God and you remain in your sin for life and for all of eternity. So we see this continuing on through his life. But also it is very clear, as I've kind of alluded to here, and we'll look at a few of these passages. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 through 34 I'll read this to you, but feel free to look it up as well. But we see this. uh, Jesus warns people over and over that this is the case. I am the Savior, the one and only Savior. There is no other Messiah that is coming. It is through me that salvation comes and through no one else. In verse 31 of Matthew 25, Jesus says, When the Son of Man, which is another title for Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So he's speaking of the end time. uh, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then I'll skip ahead to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, the rising and the falling, all determined by what they did with the Christ. There's only one way to heaven, and it is through the Christ. To not accept God's one and only Savior is to not have a Savior. It is that simple. So we have one God. God provides one Savior. And people still argue, like, why is there only one way? It should be any way, any way. I want to make my own way up to heaven. Surely I'm good. And they try to go around. This is God we're speaking about here. The very one that made us, he determines the rules. We're just told to obey them. We can't create our own way to heaven. No matter how good you are, how spiritual, how religious you think you are, no one can create another way to heaven. God has provided the one Savior. And not to have him is not to have a Savior. Really quick, I just kind of summarize this by saying, all have sinned against God. All people need to be saved from God because of our sin. God sends the Savior for our sin. Those who do not receive Jesus as Savior remain unsaved. Is this a very popular message today? I think we would all agree that it is not very popular any longer. That in order to grow churches and church start or are trying to get more people in, this is not the kind of message you would want to preach because instead it's more of just be positive, right? Trendy churches and churches that you might see on TV are sadly 
overwhelmed by just being positive, you know. God loves you, I love you, and you're going to win. Amen. That's the end of service, you know. Like, what is that? You know, that, that's not the Word of God at all. And you have people not even hearing of sin, not even hearing of salvation, not even hearing that God has sent the Savior, is in Him we must believe or else we die and spend eternity in hell. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to offend anyone. Is it out of, is it out of ego we say that Jesus is the only way? No, it's that we want to be truthful to the word that God has given us. So we teach what is in the word. We can't make up our own stories. But it ends up you have whole churches full of people who don't know the gospel. Next thing you know, you have people in a vast amount of people who are not even saved. And they're coming to hear someone stand up and speak positively. But the gospel is never taught. The word of God is never preached. Sin, salvation, Jesus, the Christ is never presented. Next thing you know, you just have people in there who are not even saved. It's just a, a, a group, a gathering of people that love positive thoughts. That's not the church, all right? We concentrate on the word of God. This is why I do what I do. This is why you're here today, because this is what we feed on. It is the word of God. So we, this message may not be popular, but we must continue to spread it. And we do so not out of hate. We spread this message out of love. God has given us a way to heaven. This is news that we need to share, right? Let's continue on. Verse 35, as we bring this kind of to an end here. Uh, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. Simeon says this of Mary, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Again, so now they find out that Jesus is going to be a source of, of division. Uh, and also they, she finds out here that something about him will cause a sword to pierce through her own soul also. So that it's not just pure joy, joy, happy, happy, happy. The Messiah is here and my whole life. But there's something there that's going to be bitter there's something there that will cause her very soul to feel like a sword has gone through her soul what is this well we find it over in the book of john and we find at the end of the gospels if you have your bible just turn with me to john chapter 19 john matthew mark luke john you're just a little ways away 23 through 30 and uh, as I shared with you earlier, sometimes I like to see the manger scene with the cross next to it to kind of summarize the life of Christ. And that's what we're going to kind of do here today. What is that sword that will pierce her soul? She will see her son rejected. She will see her son tortured, tormented, crown of thorns placed on his head, whipped till there is no flesh left on his back, punched, beard ripped out, crucified on the cross. And he has never done anything wrong. Not even one single thing wrong. And she will witness all of it. A sword will pierce through her soul. Look at John 19, verse 23 through 30. I'll read. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing. They cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. All these things are going on and his own mother is right there by him. Goodness. She is witnessing all these things take place to her very own son. She, he is hanging on the cross. She has seen the, the 
uh, extreme embarrassment, humiliation. People are spitting on him, calling him all kinds of things. He's done nothing wrong. Spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet, tormented, tortured. And look at verse uh, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. We see here, even as Jesus is dying, literally dying, at the very, very end, he acknowledges his mother, who is right there. A sword is piercing through her very own soul. He knows he is departing. We assume from this that Joseph has already died as well at some point in the past. And there is no, no one to take care of her. And in his last dying breath, with a sword going through her soul, he says, Behold your mother, behold your son, and gives her to John to take care of. Verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So here we see this prophecy from Simeon come to its fruition. A sword has definitely pierced his mother, pierced her soul. It is finished, Jesus says. These are his dying words. What is finished? Why does he say it is finished? The torment, the torture, yes. But he has brought salvation. He has paid the price. He has lived a life that you and I could not live. Completely righteous, completely perfect. On the cross, he has taken our sin. He has taken the wrath of God for that sin. He has paid the price for it. And he says, it is finished. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior, and this is why Simeon could live and die in peace, and this is why we can live and die at peace, because our Savior has paid the price, and it is finished. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing salvation to us. And we acknowledge that Jesus was not just a baby, and that's it. He was not just a human as we are, but he was the Messiah, he was the Christ. He is the only way, the only source of salvation. We understand that it is a division, a dividing point in which many of our world will take the other side. But may we do everything in our power to let people know the truth, to proclaim the message of the truth. May we not be ashamed of this message. This is the only message that people can be saved by. There is only one Messiah. There is only one Christ. All the signs, the miracles pointing to this, that you have delivered your Messiah who was born, who lived, who died to bring about our salvation. God, we who are saved, thank you for our salvation. And if there's anyone here who has not seen Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior, as their salvation, God, may they understand today, draw them to you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.